Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I have the honor to speak with Dr. Regina Lark. In 2008, Dr. Lark founded a clear path professional organizing and productivity. As a certified professional organizer, Regina is a specialist and featured speaker on issues associated with life transitions, ADHD, from productivity, time management, chronic disorganization, and women's leadership. Regina is the author of Psychic Debris, Crowded Closets, The Relationship Between the Stuff in Your Head and What's Under Your Bed. Today, we talk about how she approaches organization, focusing on executive functioning of the individual and how to create sustainable change. Welcome, Regina. So, you know, I haven't had a guest like you on my podcast to date yet, and I'm excited to have you on to talk a little bit about how you work with organization Mm. and executive functioning and ADD and things like that. Nice. I love talking about this. And so thank you for for giving me an opportunity. Pre-COVID and pre-times, I did a lot of presentations on this topic, and I would start out with asking how many people here have clutter? And it's always a very self-select group. Everybody raises their hand. And we talk about why it is that they might have clutter. And what I've heard over the years, and this has played out in my experience, two things. One, most people who raise their hand saying that they have clutter They have bookshelves and bedside tables filled with books on how to get organized. So when my team goes in to do this work, one of the first things we declutter are the books they have on how to get organized. Because over many years of doing this work, what I've come to understand is books on how to get organized were written for my brain, (laughs) designed around my brain type which is pretty linear, pretty orderly. I have a good relationship with time. I'm emotionally managed. And it would not occur to me to, if I found something in an organizing book that seemed helpful, like how to fold something, chances are I will fold it that way for the rest of my life. Because I know how long it takes me to do laundry. I know know how much time I need to finish the project of laundry, which is sort, wash, dry, fold, put away. It has to happen in that sequence, you know? You can't fudge that. So part of how my brain is wired, I'm really good at the sequencing, at the planning. What I've encountered with the clients that tend to call somebody like me, So they call a professional organizer because they're fed up with all the clutter and everything they've done to help themselves, they have failed themselves miserably. They have the books. They're the adults for when they were kids, their mother would send them to their room, clean your room. And they'd get into the room and it would be like, la, 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 la. (laughs) So many more interesting things to do in the room than to clean it. Lots of distractions lots of interruptions, really hard to focus. 
And if their parent was really observing them in that space, the parent might go hang out in the bedroom with their kid while their kid's doing the organizing. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So that non-skill has been with them their whole life. So by the time they're adults and they call somebody like me, they really are at their wits end. And what I hear are feelings of shame, failure, embarrassment, disgust, feeling inadequate, feeling lazy. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that word though, because if you think about as a parent, if you say you want your child to do the room, you don't think about maybe their brain just doesn't work in that specific sequence. Maybe right. they're just being lazy. Right. Right. And I don't believe in lazy. Hmm. I think that there's always a deeper underlying, maybe not so deep, an underlying reason why we're not able to activate on whatever it is that we set out to do. So from my perspective, it could be, I'm not the right person for the job. I don't have the skills to do this. I don't even know where to start. And then we default at lazy. Mm -hmm. So I also wonder, the, (laughs) the adults that call you are the adults that actually care that they want their space to be organized, right? And so that's also a subset. There are some adults that don't really care, right, about that. And maybe they just wouldn't be calling you. Right. A lot of it is they often have had some kind of big fat incentive. Mm. So it could be that there was a flood in the kitchen and now they have to deal with the big, not only the mess of the flood, but the reason why it's hard to get repair people in Mm. is because there are areas that are blocked. So it could be because of a, a household emergency. It could be because your adult daughter, she's not going to let the grandkids come over anymore because it's just not, it's just not conducive to a place to play. Um, often we'll get couples that are cohabiting for the first time and one has a big clutter issue and the other one doesn't. And so, so when we have somebody call us for help, there's an incentive. And what I've noticed during the pandemic, I found this very interesting. When the shutdown happened, I thought about people with clutter. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people out there right now that are thinking, cool, now I have time to get organized. So that was in March. We started getting calls around July, August because people were finding out that it was never a time issue, that it was a skill Mm. issue. Mm. And they really came face to face with a challenge that they've been telling themselves for years, when I have time. Then the time was magically handed to us. And then they defaulted to lazy. You know, they defaulted to in this kind of magical thinking the magical thinking is I don't have time to do it. And then the next thought is, well, I, I, not today, I'm lazy. You know, we have a variety of terms that we use to track our relationship with time. I don't have time. I'm running out of time. There is no time. Time keeps getting away from me. And I think that was another component about why people were not activating on their desire to declutter. Mm-hmm. So... My goal is to always help clients separate themselves from the clutter in terms of it's not who they are. 
It's just what's happening in their lives. So how do you do it then? So if you, so if you say, okay, it's not about time, it's about skill. So do you work with people to develop those skills? Do you develop workarounds? What is the work that you the do? The work initially is to clear the path. I do a lot of coaching. I do ADHD coaching to help people shift habits, behaviors, and relationships to stuff in space. It's good and meaningful work. Dealing with the clutter piece of it, if we're doing a one-on-one like that, especially in the Zoom room where it's going to be a virtual organizing session, it's going to take a lot of time. Habits and behaviors can change. Our relationship to our environment can change, but it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. So I often suggest letting a team, we cover almost all of Southern California, four counties, LA County, Orange County, San Bernardino, and Riverside. I've got 13 employees. And once we establish that the clutter just has to be cleared, my team goes in and a team of one, two, or three, everybody rolls up their sleeves and they tackle the clutter. They sort like with like. They put air, you know, there's an area of things that no longer serve their life. We have conversation about need versus use, versus value, versus desire. What's in your space that really uplifts and elevates? Mm -hmm. What is in your space that you're just like, I don't even know how this got here. So we do a lot of sorting and we do a lot of uncluttering. And then we integrate that which is going to be kept. And we remove everything that doesn't belong there anymore. In the first 60 days, I get back to the client and say, what does it look like right now? Because unless and until someone is ready to do the heavy lifting of changing habits, behaviors, and relationships to stuff and space, they will continue the habits that brought the clutter to bear. So what you're looking for in those 60 days is, is the space back to where it started? Right. And what I ask them to do in the space of those 60 days, their job is to not label or judge themselves, but just to observe what the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. So if the client and their organizer decided all mail is going to go here, and over the course of a week or a month, the mail isn't going there, be curious as to why. Just don't judge it. There's a reason, and it's not lazy, but are there distractions from when you bring the mail from the mailbox into that space? What's happening on the walk? Just observe it. Don't judge it. Don't label yourself. Don't resent yourself for not being able, for not following through. You do have the ability often Don't judge yourself for not following through. So having those observances of what we're doing, the curiosity piece, I say, pretend you're a drone and start hovering above you and around you. Just see who you are in your space. Because I would say every person practically that I have worked with will say these words. I cleared it, but it came back. Mm -hmm. Like, well, it doesn't have legs. You know, of course you returned it 
to its natural order, how you do it. Mm-hmm. That makes me think about kind of that whole Marie Kondo idea, right? So it's this great about simplifying your space, but it doesn't, I mean, I haven't actually haven't read her book, but this idea of it, that then how do you actually prevent it from going back there too? And it sounds like the work you do is really focusing on sustainability. Sure. Kondo is popular. And I just heard the Today Show last week did a huge segment on the minimalists. You know, mm. these two straight white guys that have been able to make an industry out of minimalism, but in no way, shape, or form do they address the brain-based conditions. Mm. And so that's why I think our clients feel so lousy about themselves because they they're seeing these guys going, 10 things. What more do we need? But our emotional availability for something like that, we may need to hone. Mm -hmm. And and so I see a lot of folks do feel inadequate, shamed. They're shamed, especially women. I've noticed that my male clients tend to say, I'll just get rid of it. And my female clients tend to, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't even believe that I can't do this. What's wrong with me? So they tend to own it more so. It's almost a reflection on who they are versus what's going on. Yeah. I have so many questions that, and they're kind of unrelated, but they kind of are popping up in my mind. So the first question I, I want to ask you though, out of kind of our conversation is, do you focus on why? Like, why does someone decide to purchase something, right? Or what is the motivation behind collecting something? Is that something that you kind of think about with somebody? And how do you make that decision that that's something you need? Okay. So one of my favorite, I'm not a collector, but I have a lot of frog story. I talked to this woman, her house was filled with frogs, every kind of frog known to humankind figurines and lampshades and pillows and frogs everywhere. (laughs) I don't know why, but I walked in and I said, oh, you collect frogs. And she said, well, not really. I had two frog, she had two glass figurine frog things on the windowsill by her kitchen. And her friends saw those and go, oh, she collects frogs. So she brought frogs. And then somebody else came over. Now she just has these frogs. She did not set out to collect them. One interesting thing about her collection is that even though it was a big collection of frogs and took up every single flat surface, it was a clean collection. It was displayed. They weren't in boxes. They weren't in crappy cardboard boxes and shoved in the back of the garage. So I saw the frog collection as, yes, unintentional, but well cared for. Hmm. She had decided she was going to part with a lot of it because she did want to have access to the flat surfaces of her tables again. But it was a clean collection. There was dusting happening. So it, it looked it looked fine and it was grouped. So it was fine. We have clients that have collections because of what they had heard along the way of what was going to have value. I read an article many years ago about a woman who had a Hummel collection, 
the Hummel figurines and she thought the Hummels were going to pay for her daughter's meal plan at UCLA. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have these magical ideas of what they're worth. We have a lot of clients who have held on to for years the Barbie collection and the Hot Wheels collections. And some of them are in packages, the original packages, and some aren't. And they're waiting for like this magical moment when the sale price is at here, but they don't, it's not something that they will follow through on. So I do presentations on when does a collection become clutter and when does clutter become a hoard? And again, it's your relationship to the stuff in the space. Hoarding is a form of mental illness that really impacts a lot of the wiring in the prefrontal cortex. So from what I've seen, collecting often happens because of what somebody gave you or what you heard. For me, I think a true collector will display their collection and when a new piece comes in, they either build the next shelf or they remove something so that the collection is fluid and evergreen. But a lot of people don't have those kinds of collections. They have a lot of the same stuff that they call collections. And I want to tell you about, there's this video out there and it's called The Century of the Self. And it's a five part documentary. The first three hours of it really resonated with me. And it's about the origins of modern sales techniques that date back to a women's suffrage parade in 1915-ish. And it was, how do we get the other half of the population to start smoking cigarettes? And the nephew of Freud, a guy named Edward Bernays, used sex and sexuality to sell cigarettes. And so he had hired five or seven women to march in the suffrage parade. And at a given signal, the cameras were on them. They stopped their lift up their skirt. They pull out their cigarette and they light their freedom flag. And so smoking became synonymous with women's liberation mm. and sales skyrocketed. So also when I think of people having addictions to shopping, the way the displays are lights up that center of the brain. And if you're feeling anxiety, depression, I have a lot of clients that say, I don't know why I bought that. I'll go, well, let's get curious. Let's dig. Let's see why. Did you have a fight with your husband yesterday? It's okay to go beyond I don't know and see if you can get to a knowing, become more known to yourself in terms of why you are making these decisions. Mm. Yeah. So, and I, as you're talking, I think about the goal, right? And so the goal is for you to be in a space that feels comfortable to you. Yes. And doesn't, I kind of think of stuff as weighing you down, right? It's heavy. It kind of makes the fluidity of life become very thick. So this idea that it's like, how do you make that space feel really comfortable to you and fluid and uncluttered if that's really something that you want? And, and if it is something that you want, it could be, you know, we work with a lot of what I call our LA's right brain creatives. And they are enamored with the aesthetic. 
and they like lovely things around them. And they're very creative and super smart, crafty. And so what would make the space comfortable for them, given that they do want to have with them in easy access, the things that are going to uplift and elevate? And then how do we archive that which doesn't? Mm -hmm. Still may need, if you can identify the need, I think a lot of people hold on to things that they think they may need someday, but they're not able to identify two things. What does someday have to look like in order for this thing to come into use? And if I let it go and someday arrives, what catastrophe is going to befall me? I know it's not going to be good. Mm. <laughs> we hold on to things that we may need someday without really thinking about what that all looks like or what that yeah. all means. So yeah. we default to someday. Kind of the rational plane out of what would happen with the what the cost would be of removing versus keeping, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you mentioned a little bit about ADD, and I know you do a little bit of ADD coaching. And I know there's so much overlap, and ADD is a bit of a spectrum disorder in terms of, you know, it could look very different. Some people don't necessarily have ADD, but have little touches here and there of inattentiveness. And so I guess the question is, how do you assess for ADD or does it matter? And it's it's more about just kind of what the person's needs are and what those distractions are, regardless if those distractions are ADD or not. So I guess, how do you kind of focus on ADD and work with that? Well, a lot of times people will come to me and say, I've got ADHD. I look at our clients as if they have clutter there is an executive function dysfunction happening. There's, there's just something happening in the brain since I don't believe in lazy. So I operate from the, from the perspective of what is your relationship with time? Hmm. Do you know how long it takes you to take a shower? If you don't know how long it takes you to take a shower, you are probably overestimating or underestimating. If you're underestimating how long it takes a shower, it might be good information to know that because it might help you explain why you're always late. So it's less about the language of ADD and more about the language of being curious about why you do certain things. Hmm. Like don't start the laundry unless you have a solid two-hour block of time that you'll be able to get to the end, which is put away. If you don't feel that internal clock, I mean, I could close my eyes and I could pretty much tell you when a minute has passed Mm -hmm. within a couple of seconds. If that's not a skill set, your relationship with time, be curious about that. Mm -hmm. Set timers, see how long it takes you to clean out a junk drawer just to see, because it seems benign. It seems easy, but you may go down the rabbit hole wanting to know where all these keys fit. Got it. And so the coaching is to be able to create these systems that yeah. because yeah. you don't have this internal working of in yeah. kind of time understanding, it's about then how do you create these external systems to then but, hold you accountable? The reminders and and if time is a challenge for you, put analog clocks wherever you are so you can visualize, so you can actually see the passage of time and actually see what 20 minutes to the hour looks like instead of 1139. Mm -hmm. One is very digital. That's it. 
four numbers. Mm-hmm. The other one has a fluidity around it. So I encourage, I just put an analog clock everywhere. Hmm. So, you know, I think this is all kind of fascinating how, how you work and the services that you provide. What are, I mean, I'm just curious, some outcomes, some outcomes to share with us. I'm just curious about the process and what ends up happening and long-term effect. The outcomes are fun and positive and Our clients are pretty amazed by the transformation that can happen in a very short period of time. Mm. And that's significant because a lot of them have been living in this for a very long period of time. So to get that breathing room back, we always find things that haven't been found for a long time. Some of them are very benign, like, oh, that's where that phone went. And they, they got a new phone three phones ago. And some of it is important, like birth and marriage certificates, stock certificates. So there's a sense of relief. And because of how we talk about the mess, the relief also comes in the form of bringing down the level of shame. When they see a team of really fun, kind, funny, spirited people working in their space, it just lessens that sense of self-loathing. So, yes, the space is clear, but I think one of the bigger outcomes is a sense of freedom, a belief that greater productivity is possible, and really stepping aside from that shame piece. And again, I notice it more in women, and I think, I I think, I know it's what women have been exposed to from the time they were girls to the time they they grew into adulthood and the tasks that are, we still call it women's work. (laughs) That just makes my eyeballs bleed. (laughs) You know, it's work. Yeah. It's work, but we call Mm -hmm. it women's work. And so I think over the centuries of all these women with an executive function, dysfunction on some level, trying to meet these cultural ideas of what it means to be female oh my gosh, they have failed themselves miserably. Mm. But if you've got lousy time management, if you have a hard time managing your emotions and, and holding steady, if you cannot sequence or process, if those tasks, those skill sets are hard for you and you're female, you're going to have some pretty awful ideas about who you are. And mm. so that to me, that part of this work has been the best part is to shift that thinking away from being a loser and inadequate to, oh, (laughs) it's just how I'm wired. I mean, really, that's, it's a relief to a lot of people. Yeah, I bet. So my other question I have is, do you have a sense that this has gained momentum, this desire to declutter, this desire to create more kind of item-free spaces. To me, it feels like it has become more popular. And I don't think it's just because of COVID. I mean, no. it seems like this is happening before. So what do you think accounts for why this is increasing in popularity and people have this desire? <laughs> oh, you think so? Well, I think social media has something to do with it. The, the profession itself The organizing profession itself started in Los Angeles in 1985. And five women in their 40s 
from all different parts of life got together and they started what is now a national association. And they had been very busy and word of mouth, newspaper ads, that type of thing. But I think what social media has done is it has expanded a cluttered person's feelings of inadequacy because they see the Pinterest pages and the ads on, they see a lot of print ads on getting organized. I live near Century City here in Los Angeles and across Santa Monica Boulevard, there is a billboard. On one side of Santa Monica Boulevard is a big mall with the container store. And on the other side is a billboard for container store stuff. And it's all about get organized. So the language is in our face. And then ideals, these cultural ideals of what it means to be organized and perfect, that word perfect, and labels and buckets and baskets and and all of this, and the books, right? The Marie Kondo show provided an opportunity to see that A, you're not alone, but Again, as we, as I said earlier, it doesn't really explain why the clutter is in your life. I have always shied away from before and after pictures on my website because it almost sets up an expectation that you can do this too. And I think it takes a lot of work to be able to develop the skills to keep yourself organized and tidy. So it may have exploded every time there's a new show. There's a home edit show that's funny and silly. Hoarders Buried Alive was another, oh, I'm not that bad. So people did a comparative analysis. I would get calls. I'm just like the show. I'm not like the show. My mother's like the show. I think my son is going to be someone who can be on the show someday. So it's created a level of awareness. But I also think that social media and how people describe their quote unquote perfect pantry, lives, labels, all of that. Mm. It doesn't address the person who has a lousy relationship with time. And yeah, the basket has a label, but what happened between (laughs) the time you're going to put it in the basket to getting it in the basket? Mm. I don't mean to make it sound silly or frivolous, but to answer your question, I don't think there's more clutter. I think that there's an awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is good and bad. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I really appreciate you talking to me about this. It makes me think about my clutter (laughs) and what I want to do and kind of why I have my own blocks and creating kind of a space that feels comfortable to me before we say goodbye. And I'll make sure we have all of your information about your book and your website and your company on the episode description. But is there any last words that you'd like to share with the listener? If you have clutter, don't own it. Just, I want to encourage you to see it as a reflection, not of who you are, but your circumstance. That would be the message. I like that one. (laughs) All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks. Thanks, Regina. 
This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.